Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. From the glow of St. Paul's number one, welcome to another edition of Cabin Country. Give us the time and we'll take you out of the traffic and away from the levee. Let's find the place where the loons call out among the moonlit waves, where the wind sighs among the Norway pines. Pull up a dock chair, have a sip of your coffee, and get a line in the water. This is Cabin Country. Now here's Bjorn Lloydstead, and I'm Fudd Klugman, with another Woodland Escape. Right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cabin Country. We're glad to have you back. As always, I am Bjorn Lloydstead. And I'm Fudd Klugman. And Fudd, we're both pretty excited tonight because, uh, you know, we both spent a lot of lot of years listening to bird call CDs and looking through books of pictures of wild flowers, wild plants, wild animals. The irony there is they're almost always written by the one, the only Stan Tequila. That's right. Sort of... Uh, a radio personality, an author in the in the sense of books and, and articles and newspapers and magazines. We hear him on the radio. He's He's been a source for all things cabin country for so long. Very much kind of an icon in uh, cabin country itself. And uh, lo and behold, we were lucky enough to get him on the show. I couldn't believe it. I, it, you know, I'd always thought, well, someday when we get a little better known here in cabin country, right. make a name for ourselves. We oh, can it's reach Bjorn out. and Fudd. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. Let's reach out to Stan Tequila now that we're something. Seemed like it might be years We've away. Got two dozen listeners now. Let's yeah. give it a try. <laughs> Absolutely. But uh, no, I just uh, found him on online and uh, sent him an email, and I couldn't believe it. the first thing in the next morning. He said, yes, I'd, I'd be honored, and gave him a phone call, and inside of three days, we're meeting him at his place. The Eden Prairie Outdoor Nature Center, where we got to sit down and talk with the man himself, and we got a plenty of great information um, that looks like it could well turn into two full episodes of Cabin Country. So if you love all things Stan, you're in luck. The next two episodes will be Stan Tequila in his element. So what do you think? Should we quit talking? And yeah, I suppose people are saying, well, quit gabbing, then let's get him on. We want to hear Stan. Let's get him on. Stick so. a sock in it, Bjorn. All right. So without further ado, Mr. Stan Tequila. How many jobs do you actually do, Stan? You're a man of many talents. So tell us about hats, yeah, all the hats all that you wear. Hat. Uh, how many jobs? Um, I, last time I checked, it's seven to eight different kind of 
what I call revenue streams. It's um, things I have to do to bring in money. Uh-huh. And so I do a whole variety of things. So I do about eight different things to make one living. If that makes sense. Right. So it's not easy. The authorship and then recording. So number one, it would be writing books. So I've been writing books for over 30 years and I've um, come out with over 200 books in that 30 plus years. And um, so that continues to be my main kind of thing that I do. Right. My main income and what I push at the hardest. Right. And then from there, it kind of all cascades downhill from there. (laughs) So. A lot of media uh, spots and, yes. and all kinds of things. Would yeah. you say that, uh, Stan, the, the being a writer is sort of your your chief love? It's it's where no. your heart's at? No? No, I'm, I'm a horrible writer, and okay. <laughs> I, uh, I don't enjoy it. I know how some people are always like, oh, yeah, I just love the process right. of the writing. Yes. And I just, <laughs> I mean, they're gagging for every moment that I'm typing away. You know? But a funny thing, though, is that in high school, you know, which was like almost a million years ago, I... Um, uh, I learned to type. Right. Um, and I learned to type because that's where all the girls were at. Okay, right? sure, sure. Yeah, and then what I did was, I don't know how many years later after that, when I my career started really going with this book writing and yeah. writing a newspaper column, I thought, I better, because I was hunting, pecking with one finger, you know, mm-hmm. and I mm-hmm. thought, well, I better, you know, whip out those skills. So I did, and amazingly, it came right back to me. Sure. And... I, that's so. When I type now, I I don't look at my keyboard. I'm looking at the screen, and I'm just going away. And I haven't had it. Man, do I go fast on the keyboard? Well, that's cool. I mean, I, I can't spell at right, all. Right. You know, so thank God for spell check. <laughs> you know, and my editor's constantly telling me I'm an idiot because I don't know. You know, that I change my tenses all the time. You know, present tense to past tense all the time. And it's a great American pastime. Yeah, I know. I mean, come on, that's, that's know. what we do. I mean, I know. For Pete's so, sake. But other than that, yeah. So I write a lot. I, yeah. Uh, I write a syndicated newspaper column. Uh, so that's 700 words, 750 words every two weeks. So I always like I always say it's like having a term paper due every two weeks. Sure, which is not fun, and <laughs> uh, and um, and that goes out across about uh, nine states. I have yeah. about three quarters of a million readers every two weeks. Okay. So so you're being heard. That's great. So I get out there, right? Yep. And uh, so and then. Uh, I I just do so many different things. Like I do audio recordings of birds and animal sounds, and I work with a company out of New York City who um, puts out like we just put out a um, medit- you know because of the COVID thing it's all you know everybody's stressed out. Yeah, we yes. put out a, uh, a meditation CD, just okay. beautiful sounds. Right, people can listen to it, meditate, relax, and all that stuff. Nature sounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean. I can't think of a better nope. meditative it's, kind of thing yeah. to have in the background. It's the best thing. Yeah. The sounds of yeah. the great outdoors. Then I do, um, so there's so many things. I take pictures, so I'm a wildlife mm-hmm. photographer, mm-hmm. and um, wildlife photography has changed dramatically in the last 25 years. It used okay. to be a pretty big part of my income. Right. Uh, you know, it was a big part. I could sell a lot of images, you know, magazines, uh, sure. books, and all that stuff. And then digital hit in 2001, 2002, and everybody became a photographer because back when you had film, you had to know what you were doing. Right. And now you don't. Now you can just, seriously, you can just take, these cameras are so good these days, you can just point it at something, push the button, and you've got amazing images. Immediately. Yeah. Brings it into focus for you. And yeah, the best auto positive. focus, great. Yeah. You know, it does everything. Auto ISO, it does. You know, does it all. And, uh-huh. and then you've got these great images. So then, uh, people were just giving away their pictures. So the market fell out um, sure. selling pictures. So okay. I switched over a number of years ago to video. So mm-hmm. now I do a lot of high end video, all 4K video, and uh, so I, I live my life in 
uh, 10 to 30 second clips. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I, I love that idea. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> I really do. Um, mm-hmm. So would you say that kind of being out in the wild with your cameras, your microphones, that's perhaps yeah. nearest and dearest to your that's, heart? That's, that's by far my favorite. Right, yeah. right. Um, and so in order to adapt and survive, uh, I used to revel in the fact of being out there myself, maybe me and my partner, that's it. And uh, But in order to survive in this economy and what's going on, I now lead photo tours. Right. So I lead lots of photo tours all over the country. I have... Sure. Um, I have I take people to photograph common loons. So the whole mm-hmm. month of June, I'm out doing photo tours uh, with common loons, Western grebes, and American black bears. So it's a fun kind of uh, thing. And then I, ha- I work with a company out of Europe, and they send me groups of Europeans, mm-hmm. and I lead photo tours uh, for them to Florida, to Yellowstone, and to here, to Minnesota, where I do right. black bears and all that stuff right. with mm-hmm. it, too. The mighty so. loon. Common loon. This magnificent bird of our northern lakes has four distinct calls. The yodel is the most common and haunting of the calls. It's a territorial call given by the males. The tremolo is five to ten repeating notes, often given in flight. It is said to be the laughing call of the loon. The whale sounds somewhat like a wolf howling and is often heard echoing across the lake late during the day or at night. Last is the hoot. This soft call note is given to keep in contact with family members. So you're all over the country. You're, yes. You're, yeah. I would imagine. I mean, I know we know we can find your books all across the country. I've seen your books in, yeah. in, in Wyoming, in yeah. Montana, in California. You know, right. that's wonderful. Right. But you're actually out there leading tours through. Yeah. So that's I'm out outstanding. There, yeah. So I, I get six to eight people and okay. I take them around like in um, right before the COVID thing hit. I ran. Oh, I was in Florida mm-hmm. and we did uh, we do uh, eight days of going from point to point to point photographing sure. all sorts of birds it's mainly birds birding that's right. what people are into okay. people are into birds they're into you know that that's what it is yeah so. yeah Was it specifically everglades or all across the panhandle uh, i'm or? not a huge fan of everglades to be honest with you yeah um it doesn't have the diversity that i kind of like and all seabirds i would guess or marsh birds it's very limited access too yeah so uh but there's a about Seven, eight places where I go that are really, really, really good, and they okay. have a variety of things. Right. So, so Florida is right. a big spot for me. Arizona is another big spot for me. So I spend a lot of time traveling. And, well, I used to. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I, and I'll ask this question and then turn it over. I, I but I, it, I live for a summer in Costa Rica, and I'm nice. thinking, gosh, as a birder, yeah. Yeah. have you ever spent oh, any yeah. time? Oh, oh yeah, I've been Costa Rica. Gracious. Oh yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. The birds are there are amazing, um, and what's Really, what Costa Rica is really well known for is the hummingbirds. Yep. You know? So here in the east, you know, we have one species of hummingbird, yeah, the ruby throated, you know, the yeah. ruby throated, right? And whoop de doo, right? <laughs> well, and, when we see them yeah, here, we're like, hey, it's hey. incredible! God. Yeah, and, uh, I love it too. When the Europeans come here and they see their first hummingbird, sure. their eyes fall out of their heads. Yeah, They're like, oh yeah. my gosh, what is that? Yeah. You know. And then, but if you go to places like Arizona, you can get upwards of fifteen species. Mm-hmm. But if you go to Costa Rica, you can get hundreds of species and in fact on one mountainside depending on what elevations you're at you can get upwards of 20 different species in the different elevations right. up the mountainside so right yeah you know. they used to they used to come to our window boxes and i yeah. mean we were seeing yeah hey it's a purple whatever it's a, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we got a book you know yeah. just trying to keep track yeah. somebody keep score this is ridiculous <laughs> exactly. it's unbelievable yeah there's but, so uh, many of them yeah, it's a, 
Birds in general are one of my kind of big things. You know, I'm a right. naturalist, so I'm uh, interested in all of it. Plants, okay, the animals, yeah. you know, the birds, the insects, yeah. the rocks, the stars, yeah. the weather. It's you know, all good. The whole thing. Right. It's all good. I like to call it the big picture of things, and right. that's what I kind of go for. I right. like that. I will admit I was guilty of reading a lot of Yule Gibbons. Oh yeah, as a younger man, but oh, still yeah. today, and, oh, yeah. and so part of it for me is is the urban foraging and. Mm-hmm. What can I eat and not have to take syrup of Ipecac? You yeah, know, it's, right. uh, where yeah. am I good and where am I not? Yeah. That's but b- mm. birds, wildlife. Yeah. To, to yeah. be able to see wildlife, yeah, incredible. You know, yeah. city kids. So. so I spend a time going to and I go seek out those animals. Sure, you know, um, you know, you'd mentioned about seeing black bears earlier off the air. We yeah. kind of talked about black bears, like, and I take people right to black bears so you can see them up close, and that yeah. is just always a mind opening, like. Holy mackerel, look you're, at that. You're not going to die. <laughs> yeah, yeah. because generally they're not interested in eating right. you. They want food. Right, you know, they don't, right. You know, people are not a really good food source. I mean, it's not that you can't get attacked by black bears. You can't. Right. It's just that, you know, if you it's, approach it's it right, if you do it right, you're going to be safe. Well, and there's a Lynn, I forget his last name. Lynn Rogers. Yeah, mm-hmm. and how he goes, I actually spent a night in a black bear yeah. den. Everybody <laughs> thinks it would stink. It was actually one of the cleanest places I've ever been. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, I spent a lot of summers in Ely in mm-hmm. the North American Black Bear Center, and yep. it's just mm-hmm. I, so many people are. You really have nothing to worry about. They're just yeah. they're just looking for food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, backyard birds is sort of a big. You know, that's what most people can sort of identify because yeah. well, I have a yeah. bird feeder in my backyard, and yeah. I just recently watched a YouTube video where you're talking about um, uh, uncommon facts oh, yeah. about common birds, yeah. and so. I'm just fascinated by some of those birds we all kind of know, yeah. but don't know a lot about. And right. of course, we know which ones we think are bad birds. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> so, getting back to, you know, you were asking before about how, you know, many different revenue streams and how many different ways I make a living. Right. One of the ways, as you just mentioned, is I give presentations, I give talks to groups. And I do that all, all over the country, and I do it for groups of, you know, small groups to gigantic groups. And right. whoever will pay me to come and talk, <laughs> I'm there, you know. <laughs> and uh, so talking to people is kind of a big, big thing I do. And one of my most popular talks is the uncommon facts about common birds. And I try to point out people's foibles, people's kind of double standards that they have. They don't think they have them, but they've got them. And it even spills over into the natural world. So nature isn't there to benefit you or me or anybody else. It's there because it evolved to this point. It has survived. It has clawed. It has done everything it can to cling to life for millions of years. And most of our birds, our modern birds that we have around to this day, have been around for millions of years. Anywhere from two to, say, upwards of nine million years, these birds have been around. And so what you're seeing is a result of lots of evolution. And those birds are out there just doing their thing. They don't have a a role, you know, if you will. Nature is always seeking a balance. Nature is always trying to Look, it, it comes down to this, and this is I, I'm, I'm famous for saying this. It all comes down to uh, one of two things in nature. It's either how to find food or how to reproduce. Mm-hmm. So it's sex and food. Yep. You know, I mean, yep. these are topics I can understand. You know, I can get <laughs> my head. Very popular with yeah, most very, species. Yes, yeah. exactly. And that's what it's about there. It's about finding enough food to keep enough health to be able to reproduce. And here we are, what, we're at, I, I don't know when we're going to air this, but this is the end of kind of spring, beginning of summer. Right. And 
everything when you go outside. It's all reproduction. There's baby squirrels. There's baby bunnies. There's baby birds. There's fish spawning. There's everything that's going on right now, and it's all about reproduction. It's all about the reproducting of the genes to pass them along to, you know, continue the species. That's what it's about. So when we as people, and we do this all the time, when we start saying, uh, you know, what good is it, you know, which is a a fabulous question all the time. What good is it? One time I walked into a, a little gas station in South Dakota, kind of in the middle of nowhere. I just I just walked in the door and first thing I was greeted was beat up old gas station. You know, it's been there for like a hundred years type of thing. And I walked in, there's this little cage with a prairie dog in it. Okay. And I looked and I went, ah, oh, a little black tailed prairie dog. And there was this old timer sitting next to it in a chair and he goes, Yep, for the life of me I can't figure out what good these things are. <laughs> I thought to myself, Am I Am I in candid camera here? You know, and for those of you who are not old enough to know what candid camera is, you know, Alan Funk. Yeah. So it's like, I was, am I being punked here? What's yeah. going on? You asked me that, and so I just went into, I just went at this guy. <laughs> I'm right. like, right. really? First of all, let me good ask you, you, what good are you? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then yeah. second of all, what good? You know, what does it do? Is that the question? Do you want to know what it does? I'll tell you what it does. And I went on and, and explained the whole, the benefits of them and how intelligent they are sure. and all the different things and all the other animals that depend upon, you know, prairie dogs in which to live, including burrowing owls. Who doesn't love a burrowing owl? Right. You know, but, uh, you know, snakes take advantage of it. There's so many things that take advantage right. of prairie dog stuff. But so, again, it, it, you just have to change the way you think slightly in order to be able to answer those questions yourself, really. Right. I can just picture that guy saying, you know how many horses have broken their legs stepping oh. in these prairie dogs? Yeah. yeah. Well, Answer, who cares? Yeah, evolutionarily. You know, why, why are you riding your horse yeah. to the prairie dog yeah. town? You know, well, evolutionarily speaking, if those horses were breaking their legs, they should die. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> They're not smart enough to miss right. it. Then right. They right. Should, you know? I mean, that's, right. you know, and so there's a lot of that out there. Right. You know, and, and we as people, of course, we change our habitats, we change our environments so much, and then we sit, sit back and go, well, that's dumb. You know, and I always like to say, you know, if people are criticizing nature, saying it's dumb or something like that, I say, well, all right, strip down, get out in the woods, survive, get back to me, okay? Get back to me, tell me how it went. Right. Yeah. Right. (laughs) You know, because those animals are out there surviving day in, day out, no problems, you you know. know? And freezing to death under a tree looking for water. (laughs) Exactly. Well, maybe that's a great segue for this question. I I thought, I'm just curious. I want to know, and you're the man to ask. Um, you know the crows, the ravens. I yeah. love ravens. Um, yeah. Red-headed, bla- red-winged blackbirds. Yeah. The yellow-headed yeah. blackbirds. Love them all. Yeah. Um, side story: We have a little cat we throw out in the backyard in a in a cage just yeah. to give this. My wife thinks the cat needs outdoors. Sure, time. a little outdoor stimulation. Why not? Yeah. I come outside yesterday. The cat's cowering in fear as two brown-headed cowbirds are staring it down <laughs> she wouldn't get off the f- oh my god i was like and they wouldn't i walked up to him and looked at him and kind of turned my head and they just sat there staring at me yeah. the male roughed up his feathers yeah. Yeah. i was like okay i guess that's my time to leave yeah. what um in your opinion stan is the bird around the twin cities or around the suburbs or even out in the country um any any you know biome that's the least misunderstood the most misunderstood mm. bird by Minnesotans in general or upper Midwesterners, American, whatever, the human race, <laughs> the bird that takes the most heat and yet is probably the most unknowingly beneficial, you know. Well, there's a lot of them, actually, on that list. Crows, of course, are one of the top right. because 
Um, I have this theory. <clears throat> it goes like this: the smarter the bird or the smarter the animal, sure. the more people hate it. Right. Uh, you know. Right. And I'm not sure if they're just feeling threatened or, or what it is about them, but you know, um, they are without a doubt the smartest birds we have here in North America. Right. Um, so that's crows are a big one that have kind of a bad. PR. Bad rap. Yeah, yeah, bad rap. Brown-headed cowbirds. So the brown-headed cowbirds are a uh, parasitic bird. And, you know, I mean, you don't even need to know what it means. You just hear the word, you know, it's a parasite, and Ish. you know it's bad. <laughs> you know, you know? And, uh, and it simply means that uh, uh, the female doesn't build her own nest. Um, she doesn't incubate her own young. What she does, she goes out and finds the nests of other birds and lays her eggs in these other birds' nests and lets them raise it. Right. Now, let's set aside for a moment that I think that this is ingenious because, you know, I mean, if you've ever raised children, you know, you, you know what I mean. It's like, it, you know, and then yep. when they become adults, they come back to you. I mean, how, how do you beat yeah. that? This yeah. is great. So, uh, and so what people don't like it because it messes with their sense of fair play. Uh, they think it's not fair. And uh, I try to remind people that these are native birds who have been here for millions of years. And uh, by the way, we can throw around that word millions of years, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It means nothing to anybody because, I mean, I have a hard enough time remembering last week. (laughs) You know, I mean, a million years ago is like, holy criminy, it's just really something. So so, uh, to me, it's like they've been here, they've done just fine right alongside all the other species of birds and they haven't won you know mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of other birds uh, double crested cormorants mm-hmm. these are those big black birds yeah. that uh, actually the federal government now are, is shooting them because Seriously. people think that they're eating our fish I mean how uh-huh. dare they eat our fish right <laughs> right. Right. right right especially all those squeaky clean ones coming out of the Mississippi up yeah. at the Ford plant <laughs> yes. yeah. yeah exactly yeah, put that back <laughs> I want to eat that I want to eat that yeah. throw a third eye right. uh, I actually had a uh, somebody called me, left me a voicemail the other day. Uh, I live on a lake, and they said, did you see the flock of cormorants that came in? There must have been 2,000 of them. And, of course, I saw them. There was about 250. <laughs> and uh, he says, it's funny. I was out that morning, and I was fishing, and I caught all sorts of fish. He says, but then those cormorants came in, and, and then that night I went out to fish, and I didn't catch a single fish. Do you think that they caught every fish? Every one in the lake. And I was like, gone. Wow. Unbelievable species. <laughs> yes. So, uh, and they say, well, we want to get rid of those cormorants because they eat our fish. And I'm like, great, great idea. So, number one on our list will be cormorants. Second, loons, because they eat our fish. Yeah. Bald eagles, they yeah. should go because they eat our fish. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I mean, and hopefully they're seeing the absurdity in all this because that's what it is. It's absurd to think that, you know. These, I mean, if that were the case, if they could, if the cormorants could land on a lake and eat every fish in there, guess what? They would have ate every fish about, I don't know, four million years ago. Right. You know? Right. We'd <laughs> so, be wondering what fish were. Yeah, exactly. We wouldn't even know what a fish nope. is. So, no. Yeah. You know, I think blue jays get bad raps all the time, too. But, you know, I think they're fabulous birds. And uh, red-winged blackbirds, of course. Um, um, there's so many that just get really starlings, European starlings. That's I mean, oh my, my gosh, my people hate European yep. starlings. Yep. I think they're amazing. They, they, they're incredible mimics. So these birds, they can mimic just about anything they hear when they're growing up. So whatever it is they're around when they're young, right. uh, they'll repeat that as they're younger. So if, they, if a, a starling grows up next to a bald eagle nest, they hear bald eagles, they'll, re, they'll make a bald eagle sound when they're growing wow. up. Um, you know, all sorts of different things wow. like that. They're really fun. They, uh, when they, when they change the co- when they go into breeding condition they change the color of their bill they go from a gray bill in non-breeding season to a yellow bill mm-hmm. in um in the breeding season 
That's it'd be like you and me changing our hair color, you know. Naturally. <laughs> yeah, naturally. <laughs> when it came time to breed, you know, right, it's like right. I don't know. So there's there's so many kind of misunderstood. Here's the problem. We as people, we do the same thing. We do the same problem over and over again. We think that whatever it is that we see, whatever it is that we smell, whatever it is that we taste, whatever we hear, mm-hmm. and worst off, whatever it is we feel, is what they do. That their experience, their interface with the world is the same interface that we have with the world, and you couldn't be more wrong. Right. You, you're just absolutely dead wrong on so many levels when you compare yourself to a bird, for example. I mean, all right, if you want to compare yourself to, say, a chimp, we're getting a little closer. Right, okay? right. We're in the ballpark. <clears throat> You're in the ballpark, but you, when you compare yourself to a bird, there's no comparison. Right. There's just no comparison. The only, the only similarities are they have two legs and we have two legs, and that's right. about it. Right. You know? <laughs> right. So, yeah. yeah. Well, it's time for a short break, but when we come back, you'll hear me ask Stan a fairly ridiculous question about animals and old age. So don't go away. Having a hard time finding shade around your place? Finding it difficult to grow shelter belt trees in your lot's questionable soil? Well, don't look now, but Cabin Country Natives has the tree for you. Populus deltoides varietal occidentalis. The mighty, mighty cottonwood. And now with a few words about the cottonwood, our good friend, good old Lloyd. The cottonwood is a member of the poplar family and will thrill you with its adaptability to various soils and its love for full sunlight. The perfect tree to plant when you're looking for a quick growing shade provider. The cottonwood loves water and being near water sources, but will grow regardless of conditions and rapidly at that. You won't be waiting long for your new cottonwood to shoot up like a weed. But wait, there's more. As members of the poplar family, cottonwoods tend to create their own groves through successful reproduction. You'll get as many cottonwoods as you'd like by planting one. The cottonwood grows quickly and creates a massive tree that can rise from 50 to 80 feet tall. Talk about shade. And if you're an aspen or a poplar fan, You'll recognize those lance-shaped leaves that seem to tremble in the breeze. Maybe not as romantically as the quaking aspen, but something very similar and in huge quantities. And that abundant foliage will blaze like gold in the autumn. The twigs of cottonwood are a source of wonderment with the heartwood shaped in a star pattern. Wow! And if the shade isn't enough to quell summer's heat, get ready for more. At the height of the summer's dog days, your cottonwood will make you think it's a warm winter by casting off its own snow. That's right, cottonwood seeds are released amidst clouds of floating cotton. If your tree is large enough, you'll think it's time to put up the holiday lights. What are you waiting for? Don't delay. Get to Cabin Country Natives and get your cottonwood today. We're sorry, but only female cottonwood trees will produce the cotton that inspired this tree's name. Cabin Country natives also cannot be held responsible for the resinous and sticky bud cones that drop like a gummy rain under the tree in the spring. Cottonwood seedlings will need to be dealt with immediately if you do not desire your own cottonwood forest. Do not plant cottonwood near power lines. (laughs) 
back to Bjorn and Fudd with special guest Stan Tequila in Cabin Country. I've always been intrigued by this mystery of life and nature. Mm-hmm. When animals die, I mean, the ones that aren't, well, killed by cars on the highway or, mm-hmm. or preyed upon, how, in your understanding, are most, how do most animals die in the woods without humans seeing them? Or are they just all become, I'm, you know, it's hard for me to think, does an old robin just sit and then one day it just dies and falls off the branch? How, do you know, how much can you tell us? <laughs> and you guys are weird. About, you know, you know <laughs> we're trying to cover every perspective. Yes. So. We've got some odd listeners, yeah. that's it. Uh, that's the whole story. Well, um, rarely do animals live to old age in the wild. That's just right. how the wild is. Um, it's very demanding to be out there. It's very demanding to be, look, think about it. You've got to catch or find your food every day, regardless. Yep. You can't take weekends off. You know? right. I mean, you're, every day, you've got to find your food. You've got to stay away from predators, something that's bigger than you, meaner than you, badder than you. you know? yep. And you've got to kind of keep that going all the time. So rarely do they make it. So, for example, animals in the wild... Um, average lifespan of a hummingbird in the wild, four years. It, four they, years. They usually okay. meet their demise way before they become old. Right. 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 And there's very few. There's a few mammals that get to be old, you know, but mostly uh, like old bison and things like that or some old bears. And there's a few that have just gotten lucky and made it through. Right. You know, and a small percentage is going to do that. It's going to make it through to that, you know, end point. But the vast majority of them don't make it. And they meet their end in a variety of different ways. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing about nature. Everything that dies is recycled back into nature. People are what's not efficient. Nature is very efficient. So nothing goes to waste. Something dies. I mean, look, think of it this way. You want how deep and intricate this, this goes. Uh, in the late winter uh, or midwinter, when a deer's antler falls off its head, you know, lands in the ground, does it just sit there forever and ever and ever? No. It's actually consumed by small rodents. Right. And that's why we would be knee-deep in antlers all over the place if that were the case. And that's just not the case. They're all chewed up. Uh, here at the Nature Center, what we did one time is we took a nice big deer antler that we mm-hmm. I drilled a hole through it. I fished a, a metal uh, cable through it, mm-hmm. and we locked it to the bird feeder on the ground over there, put a date on it, and just let it sit there. And magically, that thing got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller, and smaller down to as a little nubbin after about a year and a half. Right. It was totally gone. Right. Just to show, and we're not seeing it. I mean, it's, you know, these are mice and shrews and voles coming sure. out at nighttime who are chewing on it, chipmunks, rabbits, whatever, and they're yeah. chewing on this thing, and, they, and it's gone. And you think about that. That's all calcium. It's 100% bone, basically, right. and gone. Same thing. So I spent a lot of time in very wild places like Yellowstone where you have – Wolves, top predators, who are out hunting, they happen to get a kill. They make a kill. Within, I would say, at least 10 minutes of that kill, the first raven is there. Right. And then within an hour, there are ravens galore, magpies, golden eagles, bald eagles, and then coyotes come in, foxes come in, bears come in, everything comes in. And that kill, within 48 hours, is completely and utterly gone. Right. Bones are gone. Fur is mostly taken away for nesting material and sure. things like that, and it is 
history. That is an ecosystem that's intact and working and functioning correctly. Right. So in places like your backyard, the ecosystem is not functioning correctly. And so, or even your backwoods, you know, something mm-hmm. dies there, it takes mm-hmm. a little bit longer. But if all the predators were there, if all the components of the nature was there, it'd be cleaned up and gone within 48 sure. hours. Right. So. Right. Continuing on the, uh, the the death theme here, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know what's fascinating about it. But Bjorn and I were talking last night, and we were talking about the characteristic of crows. Like, if a crow was done. In fact, Bjorn, why don't you take over what you had observed? I'm I'm a avowed public television geek yes. and uh, nature, in particular yeah. Nova. Of course. And I remember watching. I believe it was a Nova, and they mm-hmm. were just talking about the intelligence of yeah. crows. Mm-hmm. And and doing a piece on, on a specific researcher and his team was mm-hmm. going through Central Park wearing specific masks yeah. Yeah. and yep. how the crows could identify yeah. each of these different masks yeah. as, a, as an entity. Yeah. And then on top of that, uh, at one point, a member of the, the murder was hit by a taxi mm-hmm. and died. And the entire group, it was almost like a funeral. Yeah. They, they sat on power lines and yeah. ledges around where that crow had passed mm-hmm. for about... 24 hours mm-hmm. and then almost as like on a signal it was time to move on but they they saw the death of a member of that murder of crows and they they kind of sat court you know mm-hmm. sat vigil yeah watching that i don't know yeah maybe so, you've got more to say about that so the the mask thing was at the university of new york at ithaca okay. and um <clears throat> what they did was they took a richard nixon max mask a rubberized mask <laughs> and well, maybe uh, that was it and they, they just <laughs> you know, they terrorized <laughs> these young crows and then yeah. the crows remembered that face yeah. Yeah. and so then years later they could walk across the campus with that mask on those crows would spot that face and kind of go at it yeah what i thought was amazing about it is that they taught their young about it so the young right. who had never seen it before right. then would also help mob that you know that yeah. mask if you yeah. will so which really shows that these birds are, have the ability to um, uh, communicate and uh, in a way in which it's able to communicate information that is um, uh, kind of ephemeral or I shouldn't say ephemeral kind of out there it's yeah kinda, it seems beyond the can beyond, of the yeah. average you had to think bird, about it right? yeah, yeah exactly I, I'm doing a lot of research right now on bird brains and yeah. uh, which sounds funny I, that's why I say, I say I've, been, I've been called a bird brain yeah. many times it's actually a fairly good thing to have <laughs> because when you take that as a compliment yeah, when you, you take a look at the size of the brain of a bird compared yeah. to its body it's actually fairly small um, and um, but yet they, they do remarkable things with right. it too I mean they've got nice studies showing things like um, Clark's Nutcrackers, uh, which is a species of bird out in the West. It's related to the jays and the crows, Mm -hmm. um, who can plant uh, 700 uh, different seeds in the ground and remember where every single one of them is. Oh, wow. I would I would plant them in the ground, and an hour later I'd be oh. going. Now where did I? Where, yeah, where what? are my where are my keys? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know? So it's truly amazing what they can and can't do. Yeah, it, it truly is. So uh, there's a lot of things about crows. Most of these studies that they're doing with crows, they do a lot with American crows, mm-hmm. uh, but a lot of them are with the New Caledonia crows. New Caledonia is a island, kind of the way I don't mm-hmm. even. South South Pacific. I was you know? going to say that sounds. Yeah. Anyhow, and they're doing they're doing a lot of studies on the crows there. For some right. reason, those crows are exceptionally smart, and huh. they're trying to figure out why. Uh, part of it is that they have no predators of mm-hmm. themselves, and mm-hmm. um, they're kind of like the king of the roost, and they've got some pretty intelligent things that they do. So kind of neat. Well, crows are by nature tool users too, correct? Right. Right. Yeah. So of course, uh, 
35, 40 years ago, we used to use the uh, fact that um, uh, people use tools as a demarcation between humans and the animal kingdom. Right. We actually thought, I mean, how presumptive, right, yeah. uh, that we were different because we use tools. Than, and, yeah. of course, do you guys know who the first person to show us animals using tools was? Do you remember who this was? It was a woman. Jane Goodall. Jane Goodall yeah. with her chimps, yeah. yeah. And then after that, it was like the... You know the the building blocks started falling, and we found right. all sorts of animals using tools. Look at that sea otter. Also, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Sea otters with a rock. You he know. thinks he's eating a rock. Yeah. No, he's using a rock to open yep. the clam. Exactly. Oh. And so you've got I guess all sorts human. of animals, all sorts of birds, all sorts of uh, creatures using tools. And crows are no exception. They also yeah. use tools too. And that, so, but that's so. This is a classic case of humans when we don't know. We presume certain things, and we sure. presume usually wrong. Yep. And um, so we always have to be kind of careful about those types of presumptions presumptions yeah. that yeah. we come up with all the time, especially when it compares us to the natural world. So I, I firmly believe that we're part of the natural world. I don't believe we're apart from it. We're definitely part of it. Well, we've sure lost the ability to survive in it without our, <laughs> without our human invented. Ain't that uh, the truth? Yeah. yeah. You know, creature comforts. So Yeah. yeah. I think it's. Well, I've heard that, uh, you know, humans would last maybe a year without nature in the animal world. And animals, of course, would flourish yes. uh, and, and yeah. survive much. Oh, yeah, they don't, yeah, they don't need us. We need them. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of funny that this is becoming the crow and death episode. Yes. No, well, yeah, we'll, what is up with that? We'll move on. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there we go. No, we'll, we'll move on from that. But uh, I had the experience... Of seeing well a, uh, a dying crow in my backyard, mm-hmm. and I didn't know what to do with it. And in fact, being a photographer myself, I thought, "Well, look how close I can get to this, and I'm going to videotape this process." But I felt so bad. And most of us, non, you know, are this armchair naturalist, we don't know what to do. And you, being a a bird uh, rehab person you, like starlings and crows and and even uh, flying squirrels and mm-hmm. something yeah. orville over there is watching us um what can you tell us about uh, what we should and shouldn't do um when we see an animal that is clearly suffering you left the crow alone to die in peace correct <laughs> i'm afraid i didn't leave the crow i felt like i had the mistaken thought well I'm thinking it's mistaken that I should put this out of its misery. Mm. And I feel like that wasn't the right thing I, I, I did. I didn't know what to do. I thought, well, this thing is clearly dying. I didn't know who to call. But what can you tell us about that? And maybe people are causing, like myself, more harm than good mm-hmm. if they, they encounter an injured animal. Yeah. So injured animals are different, I think, from orphaned animals or mm-hmm. perceived Orphaned animals. Uh, yesterday, for example, um, we were in the garden here at the nature center, and um, there was a baby bunny. It was this big, three inches, right. you know, tiny little thing. I mean, it was just minuscule. Brand new. And um, uh, the person I was with kind of shooted out of the garden, and uh, they said, "My, that was really a small rabbit." I said, "It's because it's a baby." And they said, "Oh," and then they felt bad. Maybe it's, but it, there's some general rules there with if, and like with rabbits, if they're fully furred, their eyes are open, and they're running. They're on their own. 
Right. That's how nature works there. And a lot of birds will spend their first one to three days of out of the nest on the ground. And we oftentimes will think, oh, there's something wrong with it. And we've got to rescue it and things when, in fact, that's what it normally does. I have a colony of purple martins uh, at my house. And guess what? My purple martin babies are on the ground right now. And I sit and watch them. Uh, because that's what happens. They fly out of their out of their nest, and they're on the ground for at least one to three days while the parents feed them. That's just natural. This is how it happens. And so if you didn't realize that, you might think, oh, there's something wrong here. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of these types of things. And as a wildlife photographer myself, you kind of, there's this unwritten, well, it is kind of written, but it's a, a, a an oath, if you will, of um, that you don't interfere with nature. That's the, the code. Right. The code is you don't want to interfere with nature, so you want to sit back and let it happen the way it wants to happen. Now, having said that, <laughs> three weeks ago, uh-huh. I heard what I thought was uh, some um, baby birds right outside the door here at the nature center, and I, I was looking for them and looking for them, and I was like, where the heck are these things? I could hear them. They were clearly crying, and then they would stop, and then they would start crying again just like a normal baby bird would and i finally tracked it down to the point where i was like oh my gosh it's underneath the deck what bird would be underneath the deck none no bird would be underneath the deck so i took out my little flashlight and i clicked on the flashlight and i looked under the deck and i was nose to nose with a mother mink and i was like oh jeez, you know and so i was like let's go you know let's get out of here uh because i didn't want to disturb her you know and so i we backed off you know right. and let her be and the next day came to work and uh i could hear one baby crying and that was it and uh, apparently she had left she had taken all of her other babies and moved them and that's the problem with a lot of animals they can't count right so you know so she had left one behind and i spent the day looking for where the mom moved to and couldn't find her anywhere kind of made this baby comfortable let it sit there waiting hoping she would come back for it waited 24 hours didn't come back for it clearly got to take action so at that point took the baby and brought it to the wildlife rehab clinic in roseville Ah. roseville minnesota has got the largest wild animal clinic in the united states and wow they take in more animals than anybody, and they do an amazing job. And so you can always, they don't send people out. They don't have rescue teams. They don't have any first responders. <laughs> they don't have anything. The Delta team is they, coming uh, out. They got nothing. Baby mink. You got to bring them in. So you got to get a box, put them in there, keep it dark, keep it quiet. Don't feed them. Don't, you know, whatever, and bring them on in. And, and, and that's the best thing to do. And they're open okay. seven days a week, and they're good friends of mine. They're wonderful people. If, look, if you're ever looking Rose for an Hill. organization to support, you think, I would really like to do something for nature. I would like to do something for wildlife. Yeah. These people are on the front lines every day taking in tens of thousands of baby birds, baby squirrels, rabbits, whatever, and taking care of them, raising them up, and then releasing them back into the wild. These guys are the closest things to saints that you can find on earth. They do wow. amazing jobs there. So, what are they called? This is the Wildlife Rehab Clinic in Roseville, Minnesota. So right there in the first ring suburbs of the right Twin on Cities. Dale Street. Yeah, yeah, right on Dale Street off of Highway 36. Okay. Like one block off. It's I know exactly what you're talking place, about. Yeah. Yeah. I have, so. It's amazing. I had no idea. Yeah, and a lot of people don't know. It's kind of like my nature center here. They just like people. Oh, I didn't know you were here. It's kind of like the the wildlife rehab clinic. People yeah. didn't know they were there, but ironically, I used to you know with the, the the yard with my dying crow. I lived about two miles from this place. And, ah. Oh, so it, it really hurts. That my one. Heart. Oops. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm almost sorry that I had to share it, but uh, yeah. it made us learn about this well, wildlife ref- mm-hmm. refuge place. You know, I grew up in, in White Bear Lake, Minnesota, you know, mm-hmm. second, third ring suburb, and still had elements that were kind of wild. Mm-hmm. Bald Eagle Lake, well, White Bear Lake. Um, how many times I almost ran over uh, you know, whippoorwills that were bedded down in our lawn. Yeah, wow. Yeah. You know, just sleeping. Not anymore. No, no. <laughs> well, thank God. You know, I mean, I, I, yeah. what in the world? There's a squirrel down. Yeah. And I didn't, you know. And there's a whippoorwill. There was a whippoorwill. Yeah. And, and was I realized. the last time you heard a whippoorwill here in Twin Cities, huh? You haven't. I know. So maybe what, what's the story there? What's So almost all of our ground nesting birds, yeah. which whippoorwills are ground nesting birds, right. are on the decline in huge numbers. So. 80, 90% decline in their population. So everything from meadowlarks to bobolinks, yeah. uh, dick sissels, uh, all these kind of ground nesting birds right. are are nearly gone. And it's, a lot of it has to do with the changing habitats, the amount of pesticides, herbicides that we use, um, the uh, number of increase in uh, mid-sized predators like mm-hmm. skunks and raccoons because mm-hmm. there's no other predator to take care of them. Right. You know, we've wiped out our coyotes, we've wiped out our mountain lions, we've wiped out our wolves and all that stuff. And sure. so uh, you've got other, these other things. So nature is kind of out of balance once again. Right. So, but whippoorwills are some of those species you just don't see them anymore. And I didn't realize there were so many sort of, you know, varietals. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, my, my former, I mean, when he was still around, you know, my dad was a uh, science teacher. By trade, and uh-huh. said, well, was it a whippoorwill or was it a Chuck Will's widow or was it a night jar? Or when I'm like, <laughs> yeah. what are you talking yeah. about? I don't even know what yeah. you know. Well, fortunately for us, we only have the one species here, but uh, which it's is the whippoorwill and gone. Uh, yeah. yeah, we do have common nighthawks, okay. which look very similar to them. The common right. nighthawks are an interesting uh, bird who um, comes out at night, mm-hmm. hence its name, nighthawk. Right. right. Uh, and um, during the uh, kind of the mid uh, 1900s, or so when we started building buildings, which flat top roofs this was yeah. a real common thing in the 50s and 60s yep. and 70s these flat top roofs we put down a rubberized membrane yep. and then put rock all over it and this was your roof who came up with this idea is, just, <laughs> I mean, is this Whipper a recipe Will for and nighthawk breeders well yeah apparently because that was a heyday for those birds who who did who bred on the ground yeah. basically and they took over these rooftops and they did really well but then starting in the 80s and 90s we everybody got rid of these roofs because they yeah. always leaked yep. and uh, they went to other roofing styles which got rid of the rocks and the flat tops and all like that and our numbers of uh, common nighthawks dropped like a rock yep. and so we hardly ever see them anymore sure. Sure. And uh, they just just not around right. at all. You find them in more right. kind of rural areas now, but, but mm-hmm. that's about it. They're really an interesting bird, too. They're in the nightjar family. Do they have that, family. that short, short yep. beak and yep. almost the whiskers? Yep, the whiskers. The, yeah. Yep. yeah, those are called uh, bristles. Those, okay. those, uh, and it's funny because they look like whiskers. They, they look like hair, actually. Yeah. But you remember, these are not mammals. These are birds, and so they are a modified feather. Feather, right. Yeah. And they, uh, they use that to, as a sensory, just like whiskers. Yeah. And they catch bugs at night. Right. And they fly around in the evening, right at sunset, and they catch all these bugs, and that's how they make a living. Yeah. It's funny. When I think about this, I was the, the surly teenager mowing my dad's yard. Mm-hmm. You know, that would put me in about the late 70s, early 80s. Yeah. And so, yeah. When they were around. When yeah. they were around. Yeah. Right. And so, there's a sized bird, too. I didn't very realize big. they were, yeah. well, they were yeah. as large as they were. So, there's a lot of those things like that. Um, and as, as kids, you probably remember um, tiger salamanders in your window wells. Yeah. You know, everybody had them Catching in their window them. wells. Yeah. They're all over the place. When was the last time you seen a tiger salamander? You know, gone. 
Um, and these are key indicator species. Um, in particular, salamanders, which is a type of amphibian, right. uh, is a very unusual animal in that it gets most of its moisture through its skin. Mm-hmm. It also breathes a lot through its skin. And so, therefore, you, the skin is very... Um, uh, kind of uh, porous, if mm-hmm. you will, mm-hmm. and so therefore it takes in everything in the environment. So if you're putting down those heavy chemicals yep. to make your lawn nice and green, right. um, then you know you're going to be affecting those those animals, right. and they are the first ones to go. Are the salamanders and the frogs and the toads, and those are all the first things that go that kind of get wiped out of an area or when you when you yeah. move into it. Yeah. So there's lots, lots to be said about that. I was that actually too. thinking about that the other day, Stan. I was like, my, my neighbors used to catch, they'd run around. Who could catch the most salamanders? salamanders yeah, in one night. Yeah. And I haven't seen one of those no. in yeah, they're gone. like four decades. Yeah, yeah they're gone. They're, ah, that's it, sad. It, it was something that kids could enjoy and yeah. uh, had some fun well, with. And they'd put them back, yeah, you know, or they'd course. go down to the pond by yeah, the elementary school go. and catch painted turtles. Mm-hmm, they're, mm-hmm. they're still around, but yeah. more adaptable. Yeah. Uh, but, boy, the salamanders are just gone. The frogs, yeah. the mm-hmm. you know, you don't hear as many spring peepers anymore when yeah, you're out. Yeah, chorus frogs, all right? that. Yeah, we're all, it's, it's, we're all in the downswing. Right. What about uh, red-headed woodpeckers? They were, <laughs> oh, great question. Because, again, that was I saw that in the video, and they make their own nests in trees, hollowed-out mm-hmm. nests. And uh, it was a mystery as to why their numbers were declining. So how is that yeah. looking now? So in... Um, 1850, uh, John James Audubon, you may have heard this guy, (laughs) he said that the red-headed woodpecker was the most numerous woodpecker in North America. He says it was semi-domesticated. He said it was a pest. He says it was a a camp robber who would come in and steal things out of camp and things like that. And so it was a a very, very common bird. And um, we... uh, we started tracking the numbers of birds in in the year 1900. Have you guys heard of the CBC, the Christmas Bird Count? I honestly have not. No. Oh, interesting. Good, good. Yeah. So, late 1800s, early 1900s, the Victorian times. Right. It was holiday tradition to go out at Christmas time with your family and a shotgun and shoot little birds. Yeah. So now. I can't think of a more festive way to celebrate Nothing the, holidays. the holidays. Nothing like says the holidays the like, heads up. like yeah. blasting innocent little birds. You know? <laughs> and Happy so, holidays. Yeah, Audubon Society, which was just starting uh, then, said, hey, look, instead of going out at the holidays and shooting birds, let's go out and count them. Not how many species you saw, but exactly how many chickadees you saw, right. how many cardinals you saw, how many whatever it was. Right. And they started a database in the year 1900. That still goes on to this day. In fact, I do, it occurs all over the world, by the okay. way, Okay. this yeah. Christmas bird count. And there are, in your neighborhood, in your town, your whatever, there is a Christmas bird count going on right around Christmas. There's a group of volunteers. I, I urge you to look them up, get involved. You, it's such a fun way to get out, learn, meet other people, yep. and go out and do the most interesting things. My section is in Richfield, Bloomington sure. area, yep. and I take care of the International Airport and kind of uh, would be western, no, that'd be eastern Richfield. Correct. And so I get to go, the airport security takes me into the inner perimeter of, oh, of the wow. airport, and yeah. I drive around, and we look for snowy owls Okay, for the Christmas bird count. So yeah. you know, it's a fun way to get out there, and you can, you can be... Your area can be small or it can be large. And long story short, 
look up the Christmas bird count. So we got all this data, right, from the year 1900 till now. Yeah. When you look at red-headed woodpeckers, see, I'm, this is a long way of getting back to your question, right? No, it's, it's when fascinating. You, when, you, when you look at the red-headed woodpecker from the year 1900 to the year 1950 or 1960, there's really no change in the red-headed population at all. From the year 1960 to the year 2010, there's an 86% decline. 86%. That's, that's nearly all of precipitous them. Precipitous drop-off. Huge yeah. drop-off. And uh, so we're down to the last dregs of, of red-headed woodpeckers. If you grew up here in Minnesota and you were anywhere near the country, you had red-headed woodpeckers as a kid, you don't have them now. They're just not around at all. And so um, the, the question is, why? You know? mm-hmm. And the answer is, they've been studying it, and we really don't know why. It's probably because they're a habitat specialist, and the habitat that they um, kind of prefer is an oak savanna. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's an oak savanna, right? I mean, we all have heard of prairie. Noodle We've all park. heard of wetlands. We've all heard of you know, deciduous conifer forests like that. Right. But we haven't heard of, so I mean, in Minnesota, we're down to less than 1% of our prairies. Right, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and a, a, an oak savanna is a prairie with oak trees on it, so it's even more rare than right. our one percent of our prairie left. So right. it's very, very small um, areas that are just no longer around, and um, and so that's probably it. We don't know. It may mm-hmm. be the use of per, uh, pesticides killing because these guys are primary uh, hunters of insects. Right. Um, I once wrote an article um, called When is a Woodpecker Not a Woodpecker? And it's when it's a redhead because they act more like hawks than woodpeckers. They sit on a branch. They watch for a a bug to fly by. They fly out and they snap it right out of midair and they fly back like a flycatcher. So they're really an unusual species of bird. And, um, And we've seen them decline like crazy. And they're just not around anymore. So if, if you had, if you were, feet put to the fire stand where where in minnesota at this point would you find an oak savanna you say that's almost all gone is is yeah. there a stand of it left <clears throat> yeah there's anywhere? one one stand owned by the university of minnesota okay it's just north of the twin cities in blaine okay it's the cedar creek cedar creek natural area sure it's private or they own it so you have to have permission to go in there but right. they have a oak savanna and they have a nice solid population of redheaded woodpecker but right. that's about it that's it yeah it's interesting i live in st paul and the Tiny little park, you know, mm-hmm. right off of uh, Energy Park Drive called Newell Park. And they say, mm-hmm. this is the last remaining piece of the the, the great woods, the great, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, what, what they talked about, the Laurel Ingle, Laura Ingle Wilder yeah, book. the Big uh, Woods. Know, My Life in the Big Woods, or yeah, right, Little Cabin right. in the Big Woods. Right. That's it. Right. You know, there's about 12 picnic tables and a really nice swing set. <laughs> and there's all these oak trees. Yeah. Everything else been cut down. Yeah. So that was a, the, the Big Woods yeah. is um, a unique habitat that was found only in Minnesota and Wisconsin. Right. And it was a, um, it's, it's, it's a, Deciduous forest yeah. uh, composed mainly of oaks and mm-hmm. uh, elms, basswoods, and things like that. And these, sure. these big woods was a, a unique um, kind of a blend of trees that uh, is very rare now. Yeah. Uh, there's a nice one out in um, Plymouth, kind of Medina okay. area. It's yeah. called yeah. Uh, Wolvesfeld Woods. Okay. It's a nice um, example of one. It's maybe 30, 40 acres or something like that. It's not real mm-hmm. big, but it's still a, a stand. Oh, a nurse strand. 
North Strand State Woods, Park. Yeah. yeah, down in uh, which is south of Northfield. <clears throat> oh yes, <laughs> my, it's my in-laws' country. Yeah, so. that that's a really good. If you want to know what Minnesota looked like before we came in and cut down all the trees, there go to North Strand. There yeah. it is, right but there. The that's irony funny. is to get to it, you drive through all this farmland. Well, but <laughs> former forest, right. former right. big woods, yeah. and you can see because you got this farmland flat, flat, flat. Boom! Right up to the edge of these big tall trees, right? And you can see, well, this is a, this is what it used to be right, right here, and this this little section has been saved. It's crazy to meet people too who have property where it backs right up to say Nurse mm-hmm. Strand Big Woods. Mm-hmm. It backs up straight to like um, oh, a friend of mine who lives in Columbus Township or Columbus Township and Columbus, and he's got uh, the Carlos Avery yeah, yeah. right off his backyard. He mm-hmm. said, "There's there's at the right time of year, I can hear." deer hunters back there you know he said i get a little nervous from time to time but uh, he said it's just amazing to have these huge stands of wood right behind you you know so those areas um we have we're bouncing all over on topics hope you don't mind uh, uh, welcome um, yeah so (laughs) welcome to cabin country (laughs) (laughs) it's like sitting around the fire at the cabin and yeah yeah. talking but um things like national wildlife refuges yeah uh were something that started very early uh in the early 1900s and were uh funded by hunters uh, and that's something we've lost sight of um so people who hunted and who fished have always paid for hunting licenses fishing license mm-hmm. and that money has gone somewhere and it's gone to the purchase of lands and then the maintaining of those lands over time and so right. if you go to a national wildlife refuge or a state refuge i'm not talking about state parks right but those these refuges um you are you can go there because of hunters right um and they're saved because of hunting and we have to kind of respect that right and understand i don't hunt um uh, but i'm not anti-hunting either uh i just people just need to understand you know i, I i'm one of those people who i fear that when we don't know your history, you're doomed to repeat it. Yeah. And you need to know where things came from. You need to understand and have a big picture of things. Okay, so I'm an educator. You're an educator, mm-hmm. right? We're mm-hmm. educators. And to me, this is where the rubber hits the road. That education, educating people about the environment, about nature, whether it be about birds or bugs or whatever it may be, it's my belief that once you know these things, right. Once you know it, you know you take better care of it. You make better choices about it. Mm-hmm. That's a big thing. Because um, if you don't, we make bad decisions. Like A good example of that is like bats. Everybody thinks how, you know, oh, they don't know anything about bats because they're nocturnal. They don't come out. We don't see them. You know, they're not flying around during the daytime. They're not pretty. They're not bright. You know, blah, blah, blah. And so we come up with all sorts of horror stories about them flying in our hairs and carrying disease and whatever, all this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. When in fact, bats, uh, there's about 5,000 species of mammals in the world. 5,000, it's not a lot. About 1,500 of them is a type of bat. Oh, wow. A quarter of all of our mammal species right. on the earth is a type of bat. And bats are the main pollinators for almost all the fruits that come mm-hmm. out of the tropics. Mm-hmm. And these are incredible animals that eat tons and tons of insects every single night. Right. And yet we vilify them. We think they're horrible. We think they're dirty rats, wing, you know, rats right. with wings rats and whatever, wings. and yep. all sorts of things. And see, that's the problem. But when you learn about bats, when you learn about, you know, the amazing things that they do and how right. they do them like that, you can't help but to think, wow, that is a cool animal. And you would do something to, hopefully you would make choices that would help 
perpetuate that species because our bat species forget about it. we have seven species of bats here in minnesota okay mm-hmm. and i always forget this i can never remember it's either three migrate and four stay or four stay and three migrate i can never remember at any rate um and those species, the ones who stay, yeah. all have that white nose syndrome right now, and they are down in the 90-some percent. Uh, so 90% of our bats that we used to have are gone right now. Wow. So if you're having a lot of mosquitoes around your house, if you're having a lot of bugs around your house, don't complain to the mosquito control. Complain the fact that we don't have any bats who are supposed right. to be eating all those bugs. Well, and the, probably the roundabout way that it comes back to the bats not being around or being in, those that are here are sick, probably has a lot to do with humans well <laughs> messing around with yeah. the environment you know there you go <laughs> yeah we, we yeah. can dominate it and mm-hmm. pay the price yeah you know. exactly sad but sad and, but and we're gonna just continue to make these mistakes over and over and over again until we start to kind of understand our past right when you understand the past you, you'd make a better future right right well why isn't that a downer <laughs> Look at that! Left you guys both speechless after that one. Slack jaw. Yeah. And now this is about the time we oh, crack no. another beer and go. All right. <laughs> Throw a little. So how about those twins? Yeah. No, they're not playing. Uh, COVID. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> oh shoot. Yeah. Well, we're going to end here with part one of our talk with Stan Tequila, but we've got another whole hour of Stan sharing his knowledge and passion for the natural world in the next episode including the curious sex life of birds, so you're not going to want to miss that. The bird sounds heard in this episode are from Stan's two audio CD set, Birds of Minnesota, and used with the permission of Stan Tequila and Adventure Publications. You can find this CD set and many of Stan's books for sale on Amazon. Join us on our next episode with part two of our special guest, Stan Tequila, in Cabin Country. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.